From time to time, we sing a song entitled, Count Your Many Blessings. And you would indeed be counting them for a long time if you even considered the blessings that we have by being together on this Lord's Day. Being in a safe environment where we can be with brothers and sisters and maybe those who are visitors who aren't Christians to learn and to study is a blessing. To see people that you care about and to meet new individuals that are going to impact your lives and have impacted your lives is certainly a blessing. To worship our God, the creator, and to call him our father and to speak directly to him is a blessing. And this particular church is blessed on a number of levels, including the fact that we have individuals that shepherd and watch out for us, to borrow from the terminology that was in our scripture reading in Acts chapter 20 at the outset of our services today. And it is the subject of shepherds and shepherding and elders that I'd like to talk about this morning. And Lord willing, over the next couple of Sunday mornings that will take us into July, a series of three different lessons on the idea of shepherds in a local church by looking today at some of the qualities associated or the qualifications necessary for those who serve in that particular capacity. And then, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the things that should motivate those individuals who would share that particular role and serve in that particular capacity. And then in July, Lord willing, talk about some practical matters on this particular subject. Let me start by just, again, as was stated by Brother Josh, welcoming those who are visiting. We have a large number of individuals that are uh, visiting with us from various places around the country. Uh, those who have moved into the area, and we're glad to have you, and we are always glad to meet new people who are interested in spiritual things. I invite you to open your Bibles to the two passages that are going to be our anchor passages today. One of those is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and the other is in the book of Titus chapter 1. Those will get well-worn in our study together today, as well as a little bit over the next couple of weeks as we develop this particular subject. It is indeed important that we understand this subject, and I would argue that as you open to 1 Timothy chapter 3, that this is an important topic for any Christian and for any congregation of the Lord's people. I think we would all agree, and if you are new to the Lord's church, if you are relatively new to the idea of how it is organized, the church in the New Testament is organized with men in pluralities, as we'll talk in just a moment or two, that serve, and that's the key word, they serve. Yes, they lead, but they also shepherd and serve and sacrifice, and that is a vitally important role. And so if someone were to come and naively ask or maybe innocently ask, well, who are your leaders? Well, it's not necessarily the preacher, though sometimes the preacher may serve as a shepherd in a local congregation. Uh, who, who's, who's, the, who's the guiding force behind the church? Well, we would always point to Jesus and always point to his word. But this congregation is blessed to have three individuals that lead and serve and play this important role. I would also argue that education and 
understanding the Lord's church and his organization is an important topic, especially in a world of so many denominations where church leadership is very singular pastor-centric, where a pastor governs that church and he, that one individual, is the one who's in charge. Well, that is a non-biblical concept as we'll develop in our study together over the next couple of weeks. Let me also suggest that I would preach this kind of a sermon to a church of maybe 20 people void of elders because I think we all understand that forward-looking churches, and we hope that no church is ever backward-looking because that would violate the principles of common sense as well as Jesus' own comments in the book of Luke, that they should think about the future. And I've preached in a number of churches over the years, both uh, on long-standing occasions and just maybe for a weekend or a week that did not have elders, and many of you who are here have been members of congregations that were void of elders because there were not men qualified and willing to serve, as we'll talk about in our study together today. And we understand once we have elders in place who are qualified and who are dedicated to serving, it makes all the difference. And you don't have to go very far before you talk to a man who's ever been in a men's business meeting or some sort of a, a meeting to govern the affairs of the church without elders and say, I am sure glad that we have them present because it makes life a whole lot easier because that's the way God designed it. And let me suggest to you thirdly or fourthly here that the qualities of elders by and large, except for a few things, are not exclusively limited limited to those who wear the title of a shepherd or a pastor or an elder in a local church. And so as we develop our study together over the course of this morning, as well as the 25th of June, Lord willing, and then the first or second Sunday in July when I'll have the privilege of speaking, Lord willing, think about these things not only as this is what John and Phil and, and Gerald have to aspire to and others who may fill that particular role in the future whether that be near or far, but these are qualities that really represent what good Christians are about. And on that note, this is a church that is a growing church, both uh, numerically, but also I hope in spirit, I hope that we are a growing church in our biblical knowledge and in our spirit. Uh, and it was made known to us uh, earlier in 2023 that uh, in the works is the looking for additional men who would seek the opportunity to serve and to lead and to shepherd. And that's an exciting time for a Lord's church. It is also a daunting task because sometimes personal uh, qualifications or personal qualms get in the way. And we want to make sure that in our third study in July that we deal with some of those things as well. There are, it seems to me, the two main anchor passages that help us to understand the qualities associated with the men who not only would want to serve in this capacity, but keep in mind that when you are uh, uh, ordained as an elder, set up as an elder, instituted as an elder, there's a lot of different verbs that you could use. Uh, it's not like the United States Supreme Court or other federal judges and that, that you're going to be there till you die. It may be the case, and we hope that those individuals who at whatever age they uh, are selected to serve as a shepherd, that they maintain those qualities. But these are also things that, and I know that I can speak with full confidence 
that when I think about Phil and John and Gerald, that they think about these qualities on a routine basis and make sure that they maintain these things in their lives as well. And so I want to just look and briefly read these uh, eight or ten verses here. We're going to read them quickly, and then we're going to spend the next few moments really delving into these particular uh concepts. Here is Paul writing to Timothy about midway through the letter in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and he says, this is a faithful saying. He says, if a man desires the position of a bishop or an overseer or an elder, he desires a good work. Notice the word desire is used there twice. We're going to come back and talk about that very briefly. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, nor covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? He can't be a novice, lest he's puffed up with pride and he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony or reputation among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. thought it was interesting as well that two times the condemnation or the snare of the devil is used. Uh, it's very easy, it would seem to me, for someone to think, well, I'm now a shepherd of the Lord's church. I am better than everyone else. And then immediately he becomes disqualified. Uh, as a result of that particular concept. And then in Titus chapter 1, we're going to read verses 5 through 9, and we'll come back and pick up in verse 10 a little bit later. But in verse 5, you'll find where Paul says to, to Titus, he says, I've got a similar set of statements to make, and we look at these two passages in concert with one another. And he says, I have left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking. And so I would argue that a church without elders is lacking something. Uh, Not that you can't be a church without elders. There have been cases where that is the case and are cases where it is present, but it would be lacking. And he goes on to talk about, I want you to appoint elders or bishops in every city as commanded. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able to sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. It seems to me that if you were to write out all of those different things and put them in columns, which I did, uh, I still use old-fashioned, this is really, really going to be striking to those of you that are under the age of 30. I still use pen and paper. I still write things down uh, and don't always put them on a computer. Uh, but I wrote them down, and I came up with three what I would call categories of qualifications or qualities. One of those is definitive, and there's four of them, it seems to me. They are fact-based, limited. They are specific to the point, and 
oftentimes there's not a lot you can do about those particular things except making a huge life change uh, or it's impossible uh, depending on your gender as we'll look at in just a moment. Eight of those are negative, things that cannot be present at any time. And think about this. As we go through these eight, as you're thinking about our three shepherds, as maybe you're thinking about if you're present uh, and perhaps you're pondering serving as a shepherd, maybe someone has come to you in the last few weeks or last few months and said, hey, would you be interested in serving in this capacity? And then think about it just in a general sense as a Christian. These are things that we cannot do, not just some of the time all the time, things we have to avoid. And then the more lengthy list are the positive things, the things to be at all times. So you'll notice there that there's about 23 separate different things as I counted them on my piece of paper. If we were to spend two minutes on each of those, we're looking at 46 minutes. So we will spend a few moments on each of them with giving more attention to maybe a handful of them to spend more than just a minute or so on them. I want to start with this definitive qualities. We could spend... Uh, an hour just on this. And there is some debate on this. And my uh, understanding of this or my take on it may be different than even some who are present here. And that's not the scope of our study together today. But let's spend just three to five minutes on what I would call the definitive qualities. I don't think there's going to be a lot of uh, debate over this among this particular group. But you will come into contact with individuals who say, I don't see a problem with a female serving as a shepherd in the Lord's church. Uh, that would be a problem based on what the Bible says. And because we do what the Bible says and we speak where the Bible speaks, as someone said, and we follow the oracles of God, as 1 Peter chapter 4 says, all of our shepherds are men and they always will be. Uh, and if they're not, um, we have a problem, a major problem. Um, and I have a major problem. And uh, so we would most, I think 99.99% of all of us would say, yeah, I understand. This isn't an anti-woman sermon. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about women uh, in terms of those who serve as wives to their respective husbands as, who are serving as elders. An elder, secondly, must be the husband uh, of one wife. He's got to be a married individual. Uh, and so all of our uh, shepherds to be and shepherds that are present are married individuals and, and uh, generally speaking, have been married for some considerable time. Thirdly, an elder must be a parent and has to have children who are described in as faithful or under his authority as referenced in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Incidentally, this seems to emphasize the idea of a track record. The idea of saying, well, he's raised children. He and his wife have put in the effort to raise children who are faithful, whether that be faithful to themselves and faithful to the idea of parental authority or faithful to the Lord. There may be some divergence among individuals who are present here today, but it proves that that individual knows how to not be a perfect parent because as we talked about back in May, there's no such thing as a perfect parent, but at least he's doing the very best he can to raise them as Ephesians chapter 6 says in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
And let me share with you one thing that jumped out to me a number of years ago, and I always put in there, uh, and that is an elder or someone who's going to serve must have the desire, must want to serve in that capacity. You say, well, that's not really a qualification or a quality. And I, I see where you're coming from. It's not on the more traditional list of 15 to 20 things that the Apostle Paul mentions. But he mentions it twice, if a man desires. So a person you may go to over the course of the next couple of weeks or the next couple of months and say, uh, Brother Smith, we don't have any Brother Smiths, I don't think, so I think we can be anonymous, um, uh, and say, I, I, Bob, Bob Smith, we don't have any Bob Smiths, I know that. And I'm, I'm, now I'm thinking back in the directory, I'm, yes. <laughs> but uh, Bob Smith, would you be interested because you, you, know, you have a lot of these things that just are jumping out to me as being all these things that Paul is talking about Timothy and Titus. You know what, I appreciate your comment, I'm not interested. And if the person cannot be told, you can't force a person. And we, I think we all agree, we don't want someone who is drug forward to say, you are now going to serve as one of our shepherds. That is not someone that is part of the spirit of wanting to lead, as we'll talk about in the month of July. So let me talk about very briefly these negative qualities, things that can never be a case. One of those is he cannot be violent, or the King James Version uses the word striker. And we're not going to go back and reread those particular things. We're just going to make a couple of different comments about it. Um, why do you think that the Holy Spirit put this in there as one of the initial things? It seems to me that there may be a couple of different things. Uh, I, I, I do think this means physically striking back. Uh, I think we would all have a problem with one of our shepherds uh, striking another member uh, physically. But I think more uh, generically, the idea of striking back often with words or these days with a quick tweet or a, uh, a comment on social media that is inappropriate. Because the fact is, is when you serve as a shepherd, people are going to say things about you, behind your back, attacking you, and you've got to determine how you're going to react. And that's true for, again, us as Christians in general, you'll find out that 75 to 85% of everything we're talking about today applies to all of us. This isn't saying, well, I never can, can be an elder because I don't have children, or I'm a female, or I'm just not interested, so I can strike people, or so that I can be mean to people, or so that I can be rude. That's not what it's saying, right? And we understand that. But this is someone who is, is above board, calmer, and willing to take things that are unfair their direction. I once heard it said that perhaps the only thing more difficult for uh, shots being taken at a shepherd are maybe those at his wife, because he's got to be very cautious in how he reacts. He wants to be defending her, but at the same time, he can't be a striker, and I don't have all the answers to that. I just know it's got to be a challenge. So just don't strike, and so there's no need to strike back or desire to strike back. Number two, given to wine. Um, sound and sober judgment 
must be exercised, as we'll talk about in our study a little bit later today. An elder needs to be an example of the church. And there may be uh, some diverging opinions on the idea of uh, drinking, even among those who are present today. I would encourage you to go to our website, godsredeemed.org, and search for Sam Zonka's sermon about three weeks ago. And he did just a wonderful job of talking about the dangers of drinking and why we should not be involved in it in the first place. This is not latitude for other Christians to say, well, I'm not going to be an elder, so I can just drink whenever I want. That's not what this is about, and it violates the context of everything that Paul's talking about to Timothy because he actually mentions this subject again elsewhere in the text. Let me suggest to you additionally that you may say, well, that I, I can't imagine that ever being a problem. I know uh, of an elder, I never served under him, uh, or, or, and I hate, to use, I hate to use that term serving under because that's almost, but we do serve under, we, we are underneath our elders, we are at their submission and that, that's fine, but I, I don't want that to come across as being that they're way up here and we're way down here because elders are servants in the first place. Uh, but this particular elder in a larger church in a different state, uh, you could find him from time to time out in a local restaurant enjoying a drink. And he was serving as a shepherd of the local church. And many of the members of that particular congregation didn't bat an eye. As they would say back in the uh, 1800s, something not right there. That's not right. Now, we could debate it and talk about it, but just, it's not right. Moving on. Number three, can't be greedy. Now, we have in this congregation deacons, and we're going to talk a little bit about deacons over the course of the next three weeks as we think about the 10 men who serve faithfully in that particular role uh, that take care of our finances. Uh, and ultimately, uh, the elders are the ones who determine who gets paid what, who, who's assisted where, what preacher is given an extra little bit of money because of his challenges in the Philippines or in Africa or elsewhere in the United States. But the motivation to serve as an elder must not be for financial gain. In 1 Peter chapter 5, that seems to be talked about. And it seems to me that in a very practical way, a greedy person, someone who really struggles with greed, doesn't make him worse than the other person who's involved in some other sort of sin, but probably not suited for a job wherein he has access to the finances. And so that's the, the same with our treasurer or treasurers. We want to make sure that they are above board and we are very confident of that. Let me spend just a couple of moments on the idea of quarrelsome. There's a lot in the Bible about being quarrelsome, but it seems to me that simply put, the job of a local uh, group of, of shepherds is to stop quarrelsome conversations. If you go back to the book of Titus, he says, there are many, verse 10, who are insubordinate, and they are idle talkers, and they are deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. And he says, those mouths must be stopped. You do not want a situation where someone is serving as a shepherd who says, I love quarreling. 
I love arguments. I love getting into debates. And again, I'm not suggesting that it's wrong for us to want to, to discuss Scripture deeply. That's not the point that I'm trying to make. But as you evaluate maybe a man or two or three or, or whatever the case may be that maybe is on your radar in this room right now, uh, that you say, I, I'm thinking about this person. Is that person prone to quarrels? Because if so, he may not be the best suited for this particular servant position. Let me suggest to you that Paul says he cannot be covetous. A covetous attitude is, according to Colossians 3, an idolatrous attitude. So much could be said about that. And so, We've got to understand that if you are serving as a shepherd, and we have three individuals who are here this morning, as well as others who have served in this particular role in, in other places, in other states, or other locales, that the church and its work ends up becoming the primary focus of the elder's life. Now, he can still have his job. He can still have his hobbies. He can still have his wife and, and his children and grandchildren, as the case may be. But a primary focus has to now become the church itself. As I'll mention in one of my sermons, it's really like, for what I'm told, having never served in that capacity, taking on an additional job, a full-time job. Because now you've got all these other responsibilities. And it would be hard enough in a church of maybe a third of our size to govern and to oversee and to shepherd. But when you're talking about 170 to 200 souls, you're talking about a lot of individuals that you will have to answer for. Cannot be a novice, cannot be a brand new Christian. Now, at what point do you tip over the scales and you become not a novice? I don't know. We all have our opinions on what would be too young or maybe what would be too old uh, in the sense that if a person loses his mental faculties, uh, and we, we pray that that'll never be the case for those that currently serve or who perhaps are wishing to serve. But considering what the job is, experience is an absolute necessary component. And that's why I appreciate Brother Chris reading from Acts chapter 20 where it says, you've got to be willing to stand up. And in the King James version of what Paul says to Titus, you've got to be willing to convict the gainsayers. And you've got to be willing to stand up and say, this is not right. It cannot be someone in our list of eight things that are negative, someone who is self-willed. An elder cannot be bent on getting his way. Remember, as I said at the, at the outset of our services, there's no such thing as an example of a single elder or single bishop or single shepherd organization uh, among the Lord's church. The chief shepherd is different, 1 Peter chapter 5. That's because all shepherds, including our three and any that will be uh, added to that over the course of this year or the next, answer to the chief shepherd, as do us all. But you cannot have your way. If, you, if someone who is stubborn and who has been on his way and it's got to be my way or the highway is not going to be a good fit because he's going to have to work with at least one other man. And in this case, you're going to have to work with three. And that's a good thing. We don't want that. And I'm reminded of a, of a smaller church years ago that had a, a city slicker and a country guy as their two elders, and they worked well together. One grew up in the city and ha had uh, multiple degrees. The other one was a farmer who only had 98.67. And uh, 
throw that in for, extra, for no, no fee. Uh, and so they had totally different perspectives and backgrounds in life, but they worked together well in that little church. An elder must be able to work with others and cannot be quick-tempered. An elder is going to have frustrating situations and how he deals with it is the key. So I'm not suggesting that if you have at some point in your life had a temper that you are automatically disqualified from serving as a shepherd in the Lord's church because all of us have probably done that at some point where we said we were a little bit too quick to, to react. But you cannot be routinely that way, nor be that way and say, I'm not going to worry about changing things into the future so as to improve. Well, let me spend the rest of our time talking about these positive qualities, and I promise to spend only a moment or two on each of them, with the exception of one or two. And one of those that I think is very important is this word that is used here, blameless. It is, in some versions, the idea of being above an evil charge, or one who does not give an occasion for sin. And I, every time I think about this, I think about men that I have respected and the three that I respect here so very much. And that if someone were to come to me and say, and I, I, I debated whether or not I was going to do this, but I'm, I'm going to do it. Uh, this is pick on uh, Phil Day. Uh, but if, if someone were to say, I saw Phil, one of our three shepherds, I saw him coming stumbling out of a bar last week. And we're all kind of chuckling, thinking this is going to compute. But that's serious. That's a serious charge. And he couldn't find his car. And he was just inebriated beyond measure. My first response is, who? You said who? And the reason is that that doesn't fit Phil. That doesn't fit in the box of what Phil is. That's not him. He's blameless. Does that mean he's perfect or that Gerald is perfect or that John or that any of the other men that we may be thinking is, is truly perfect? No. But when someone levels a charge, which is not humorous, is, is really a serious one, because someone looked like him or maybe had the similar car or whatever, we say, that just doesn't sound like him. Or that doesn't sound like her if you're talking about a Christian in, in a general sense. That doesn't sound like the way that she would talk, the places she would go, the things that he would do, the kinds of people that she'd hang out with, because that person is blameless above that kind of charge and doesn't give that occasion for sin. The other term that goes well with this is this idea of being temperate. And you may have a different word there in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. It is also called vigilance or a marked calmness. In a world filled with so many people that just fly off the handle, get so upset, elders have to kind of bring the temperature down. And I've told stories before about elders that I've respected over the last 40 years being able to, to calm a situation and to bring a situation that was escalating and just oftentimes with their voices saying, let's just, let's just take a break and calm down. Everything's going to be okay. Let's talk this out. That's what elders are asked to do. And an elder who is not watchful, as we'll look at in just a moment, would not be serving as a good elder. Which brings us to this third point in the positive things, and that is I want to spend just an extra maybe 30 to 60 seconds on this idea of being sober-minded. I encourage you, if you haven't already, uh, pick up a bulletin and read it. Not now, uh, maybe a little bit later today. Uh, the main article is written by a man who serves as a shepherd elsewhere in the country, 
And then the shorter article to fill in the gap, uh, I wrote, it was just three paragraphs, so it's not that spectacular. But it makes reference to Isaiah 56, the last couple of verses of Isaiah 56. And if you're familiar with Isaiah 56, you know that that that's a passage that talks about individuals who are shepherds who aren't very good at warning. Now, I'm going to use a, a word here uh, that we oftentimes are, tell our children not to use, but the New King James uses it, and it's the word dumb. And, and Ezekiel says, watch out for dumb watchmen. And go back to Titus 1, verses 10 through 16. Go back to Isaiah 56, 9 through 12, Acts 20, verses 28 through 31. And you find out why a man or a group of men need to be sober. That is the idea of being prudent, being an individual who is able to curb his desires so as to have an impulse reaction. Say, well, this sounds like a very calm individual that you're describing. Well, you're getting the picture. It sounds like someone who's mature. I think you're getting the picture even clearer because that's the kind of person that we want, the kind of people that we need who are going to serve in the capacity of shepherds at Northfield Boulevard or any church that is uh, present in the country. In the book of James, we find where it describes one who is able to use his brain before he uses his mouth. And we all struggle with that from time to time. Sometimes we engage mouth and then brain kicks in and it goes reverse. And we realize, oh, I should not have said that. And we do not want shepherds making those kinds of statements. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, in the New King James, it says someone who is of good behavior. I don't know that that means that he's got to do his laundry uh, within 24 hours of, of it being dried. I don't know if that means that the, fl the floors have to be mopped and that's the good behavior. I don't think that's exactly what it's talking about. So, so don't go to Phil and, and John and Gerald's house and start checking out their floors and their laundry situation. But I do believe that it does mean this idea of a well-ordered life which sets a good example. Financially, not that you have everything in order, but financially speaking, physically, in the sense that my life is in order, certainly my children are in order, and most importantly, spiritually, the church is more important than, than anything else. Jesus is the paramount objective in my life. Learning about him and talking about him and communicating with others about him is the example that I want to set. Hospitable. In the King James Version, it gives the phrase given to hospitality, which includes within it the import of impartiality. You can't just be hospitable to some and not be hospitable to others. You've got to show that as referenced in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Let me suggest to you that one of the key differences as you compare 1 Timothy 3 with the latter section of 1 Timothy chapter 3 of elders and deacons is this ability to teach or in the King James Version, it uses the phrase apt to teach. This is a distinct difference between elders and deacons. You don't see that listed among deacon qualities or qualifications. That's not to say that the 10 men who we have as deacons should not be teachers. Indeed, we see in the book of Hebrews, we see in 1 Timothy, that all of us, whether we are men or women, elders or not, deacons or not, we should all desire to be teachers in some concept or in some particular way. 
But that tells me that an elder has got to be knowledgeable, which is why you don't want a novice. You don't want someone who was baptized last, last month and you say, uh, what do you think about the book of Hosea? So well, I don't know anything about the book of Hosea. What do you think about the book of Mark? Where's the book of Mark? I mean, these are silly examples, but you don't want that situation. You want someone who has a depth of knowledge to be able to, King James Version, convict the gainsayers. Well, let me just close with these last five or six here. And that is a person who serves as a shepherd has got to be gentle. And I I don't want to get too personal here, but I do want to say, and I, I hope that there's not striking disagreement, that I am glad that we have gentle shepherds. I'm glad that we have a gentle shepherd, singular. Jesus is very gentle. Doesn't mean that he won't speak up and say that's wrong. Doesn't mean that he won't come in and turn over some tables sometimes and run you out. But Jesus is gentle. And our shepherds have the responsibility of being gentle as well and showing patience and more patience and more patience as outlined in Hebrews chapter 5. Good testimony to outsiders or a good reputation. We would not want a situation where one of our shepherds or a man who's thinking about becoming a shepherd of this church in the next few months to have the kind of reputation that his neighbors say, why in the world would you have him lead? He's the most rude neighbor in the, in the entire neighborhood. Or in a business development, he, he's shady. The way that he does things, he, he cheats people, he undercuts. You don't want that. Well, we don't want that either, which is why we want an elder have a good reputation in all things. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 8, it is said that he is a lover of good or a lover of good men. Turn over, if you would, to 1 John chapter 3 very quickly here. 1 John chapter 3, we know, verse 14, just a few pages over from 1 Timothy and Titus. Verse 14 of chapter 3, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. And so, as you think about John, as you think about Gerald, as you think about Phil, as you think about the next man or two to join them, do they love sheep? Do they love the sheep? Would Phil and John and Gerald sacrifice themselves and their time for the sheep here? And I think we know the answer to that. And they have. And they will. And anybody who wants to join must be willing to sacrifice as well. This is, by the way, not just something for elders to consider, but we must all be sacrificial for one another. He must be just. He must be fair. He must be even-handed because there are going to be times where he's going to have to make a tough decision to say, you've got two people here. Both of them, and they both have, are saying something that is not in agreement with one another, where they've got this personal difference. You may have to say, you know what? You were the one that was in the wrong here. You're the one that needs to apologize and change your ways because she was the one who was correct, or vice versa, as was the case. It is indeed true that we are all called to be holy and sacred and separate from the world, but so is the chief shepherd. And he asks that of the shepherds who will appeal 
to him and do the things that he has asked us to do and asked them to do. Let me close with this, and that is what I would call some common sense qualifications or qualities. One of those is in regards to the wife. And we are blessed with Melanie and with Norma and with Glenda. And I, I hope that they're not too upset for me mentioning them publicly, but uh, they are good women. Uh, they are important because the wife of an elder will often be, and in fact, will probably be, aside from his fellow shepherds, his closest confidant, someone that he can rely on, someone that will be there when he gets home at one in the morning when he says, I'd be home by 11, because <laughs> that's happened before. And she doesn't say, well, you said you'd be home at 11. You said the meeting would only last three hours. It lasted five hours. That's not the response that he needs at that point. He just needs to hear, it's okay, I'm glad you're home safe. We can talk about it tomorrow or whatever the case may be, however you communicate as husband and wife. An elder's wife has got to be one who's going to be trusted. I'm reminded of an elder's wife who told me one time that it'll go to my grave. No one will ever know about it because it was private. And no one needed to know about it. And Proverbs talks about that when saying someone who is able to hold a secret is indeed a wise person. And thirdly, an elder's wife has got to be an example to others. Now, I, I can't see a particular passage that necessarily tells me that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 and 11. But you've got to have, you can't have a situation where you've got a man who is just of stellar quality and his wife is of a poor reputation because that doesn't work either. Let me suggest to you this aspect here, and that is the aspect of time. As you think about serving as an elder, if that's you, if, if you're one of the handful of men that uh, perhaps I know of who are thinking about it or have been approached by others, uh, you've got to think about the fact that you're really adding on another full-time occupation. That is more important than being a plumber or a banker or a teacher or whatever job you may have. An elder must not be naive of the demands on his time. And if, if you want some time just for fun, uh, I suppose, kind of a weird way of having fun, drive by the building sometime at 1030 at night and see if the lights are on. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. These days, see if uh, uh, the Zoom is working correctly. These days, see if the conference calls are working correctly. Uh, and as you add on more shepherds, that'll be more and more necessary to have that kind of communication. But our shepherds work hard for us. The least we can do is to, is to serve, to be submissive, and to be obedient to them because they will give an answer for the things that they have done as much as we will give an answer for the ways that we have behaved in relationship to them. There are, as we close, a few qualities which are solely elder-oriented, but the broader 75 to 85% are indeed things that apply to all of us. And everything that's in blue that's popping up on the screen and it's popping up quickly, those are things that we all as Christians need to consider and that we need to try to aspire to be of and be like. 
These are not easy things to do. And think about this when you're thinking about that man that maybe you're uh, contemplating, approaching, having a conversation with. Say, well, he's batting about uh, 80% and 800 in baseball, that's unheard of, right? That's, that's twice what is able to, a, a batter is able to do. God isn't looking for someone who is 80% qualified. And that's what's so amazing about this. And that's true in us as general, and it's true about those who would serve as shepherds in a local church. Lord willing, in two weeks, we're going to talk about the things that motivate uh, an elder to serve. And then we'll talk in about four weeks about some practical matters related to the role of elders. All of this because every church needs to have, in my, in my humble opinion, a series of lessons on elders from time to time. The shepherds who are present and in place need to have reminders of their responsibilities. We as sheep need to have reminders of our responsibilities. But in a very practical way, as this church looks to the future, and perhaps a future elder or two or more, we need to strongly think about the seriousness of what we are embarking on and the exciting aspect of a growing church that is trying to do the things that the Lord has asked us to do. If you need to come home because you've not done those blue things that don't apply just to elders. Maybe you are greedy, maybe you are covetous, maybe you are uh, not setting the right example for others, you don't have a good reputation in your community. That can be changed and we can work on that together. And we would welcome the opportunity to help you to come home today as a Christian in error. If, as was already prayed about, you are not a child of God, and you need to be baptized this morning. We'd be happy to help you, to baptize you for the remission of sins. Hope these things are helpful going forward, and I appreciate your kind attention. But if we can help in any way, let us know while together we stand and while we sing.